Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, darling. Today on Catch and Shoot 2.0, I am joined by the one and only Bruce Bernstein as he fills in for Otto Strong, who is having a big news day. If you haven't heard, there's some big things going on in college football, which relates to the Fort Worth area. We'll talk about that and more. But also, we have Steve Bolpet, longtime NBA scribe, longtime Celtics coverage. He'll join us in the middle part of this show as we will talk Celtics, their run in the Eastern Conference, and we might, just might, get into some very good Larry Bird stories. But before we get to all that, I have to welcome in the one and only Bruce Bernstein. Bruce, we're doing this every week now. This might as well be our show. Uh, I don't want Otto to get a complex or anything. I'm just keeping, I'm just holding it down for him. I'm more than happy to be behind the scenes, but it's always fun speaking with you, uh, Aaron. And uh, Otto, good luck uh, tonight. We're, We're rooting for you to like kill it down there. Absolutely. There's, there's nothing harder than being in a newsroom on a busy day like today, especially when there's so many different storylines going. And we know the kind of stress that Otto is under, so it's good to have you here, Bruce. But I'll tell you what, NBA bubble action has never been better, and it's really starting to pick up. And, you know, we talk about this on this show all the time, but the NBA is a star-driven league, and I can't think of a bigger star right now that is having his way with the league than Damian Lillard. Dame is just, he's just a badass. There's no other way to say it. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's got courage. He's not afraid of a moment. He's a clutch player. I know that he didn't exactly come through at the free throw line the other day against the Clippers. That said, uh, we haven't heard the last of Damian Lillard uh, in this NBA season. I feel quite confident. You know, Bruce, and the thing I keep going back to is you, you look at Dame, right? Like there is nobody in the NBA, I think, that plays with as much fearlessness as he does. There is no moment that is too big for that guy. And there's no moment that he won't just take the rock and say that I'm going to beat you each and every night. And he's proved that so far in these seeding games. Look, 51 points the other night. You look at his six games so far in the seeding games, 198. What he is doing right now It's one, it's a lot of fun to watch on numerous levels, but two, he is proving what I think a lot of us have known for a long time, that he is one of the best point guards in this league. He is just a tough guy from Oakland. I mean, he wears the number zero and the significance of that, it's really, oh, for Oakland, the guys that come out of Oakland, the ballplayers that come out of there, you know, the Jason kids of the world, the Brian Shaw's they're tough minded. They're courageous. 
They're not afraid of anything. And they, you know, even at, 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 at a shorter stature, being a guard, he's an intimidator. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, people, people see him coming and they're like. <laughs> well, there, there's a lot to be said for a guard that regardless of what he's done in the NBA, and this is a multi-time all-star, this is a guy who time and time again has taken Portland about as far as they can possibly go with that roster, right? Like when you look at Portland's roster construction, they are Dame Lillard. TJ McCollum, and then if Nurkic is healthy, healthy, right? Like that, that is what they are. And the way that he has carried that team has been impressive. But there's no player to me that plays with the chip on his shoulder the way that he still does. I mean, it goes all the way back to his college days when, you know, he went to a small university in Utah and he's lived up to that every step of the way. And, you know, one of the things that's also very cool about him, as talented as he is as a player, this guy is like a legit rapper. I mean, you know, numerous albums, really just kind of a renaissance guy in a lot of ways. And you're right. I mean, this guy is not afraid of, of kind of, you know, strapping it on, putting the team on his shoulders and just going. And he backs down to no one. And I love the way that, you know, like Skip Bayless was taking some shots at him on Fox uh, uh, either yesterday or today. I forget. I don't really watch the show. Uh, and Dame is like firing right back at him, you know, and he did the same thing with ESPN's Dan Orlovsky back at the end of May when Dame was questioning, gee, if we don't really have a chance to make it to the playoffs, do I really want to play? And Orlovsky came at him and Dame like fired back and Orlovsky apologized numerous times. So this guy, he just doesn't back down. He just love guys like that. Yeah. And so the scary thing is, you're the Lakers. You're the number one overall seed in the Western Conference. Portland has been red hot in these seeding games, and they're fighting and clawing just to get into the playing game. They want a play-in game or a play-in series. Now, all of a sudden, you're the Lakers. You have to play Portland. How scary is that matchup for LeBron and AD, especially a Lakers team that I think, you know, we have a lot of questions about just how formative they are after these early games. Well, you know, they're shorthanded on the perimeter, too. I mean, look, if you're talking about dealing with McCollum and Lillard, you got no Rajon Rondo yet. He may come back at some point. You got no Avery Bradley, who's one of the best perimeter defenders in the entire NBA. So, yes, the matchups are going to be a real problem for the Lakers there. And now that, you know, Nurkic has been playing really good ball for Portland as well, he's going to be able to – he's not going to be as good as Anthony Davis – but he's going to be close enough to make it interesting. So then it's going to be, you know, LeBron versus the rest of their team. Who's going to come out on top, I think. And the neutral court is a huge advantage for Portland because they don't have to worry about being down 2 nothing after the first two games at Staples Center. How much fun is that series going to be? Because I'm going to say this, and, and this is just my opinion. LeBron and Damian Lillard are the two biggest alpha dogs in the league. And to have those two going head to head in a series that I think will probably go at least six games is really enticing to me and really exciting. Oh, absolutely. And uh, again, throw in the reborn Carmelo Anthony and with, with another guy with something to prove. And Terry Stotts has done a really great job coaching those guys. So uh, yeah, you don't, you don't want any part of them. I don't think you want any part of Phoenix either, but I think if you're LA, you, you don't want any part of Portland. Yeah, we're going to talk about Phoenix here in a little bit, but let's go ahead and welcome in Steve Bullpet As we talk some Celtics, we'll talk some NBA, and we'll talk some bubble action. 
It is my pleasure to welcome in longtime scribe of the Boston Celtics. He's covered the team for more than 30 years. His name is Steve Bolpet. Steve, first off, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us here on Catch and Shoot. How's your day going? Doing fine. Uh, I'm here because Bruce threatened me, and, uh, you know, I accept that. Well, see, that, that's, that's the real question. What exactly did Bruce say to get you to come on this show? Uh, you know, again, we're not on pay cable, so I really can't get into what he threatened. <laughs> I asked him very, very nicely. I said, please and thank you. I have very good manners that I learned in Brockton. So before, before we start this, how long have you known Bruce? And how did you first meet Bruce? Uh, well, it was that one night uh, back on the road, and uh, we really shouldn't get... No, I've, uh, I'm not sure how many years it's been, but uh, you know, along the path here, uh, Bruce has been uh, uh, um, doing production work for ESPN and at finals and things like that, and you ran to people, and uh, we kind of struck up conversations and uh, both had kind of a, I'll say, quirky sense of humor. Some people would call it sad and pathetic, but you know, I'm going to stick with quirky. See, I wouldn't call it sad and pathetic at all. I'd, I'd call it very, very interesting and enlightening, right? Like those are the proper words. But let's talk about this Celtics team as they kind of near the end of bubble play here in where I live in Orlando, down at Disney. They're about 40 minutes away from where I live. But, you know, you're looking at this Celtics team. What have you seen early on? Four and two in the first of their eight seeding games, but pretty locked into that number three spot in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, they're locked in there. The question's, well, it's almost a certainty that they'll play Philadelphia in the first round. Um, Philadelphia would have to win its last two games and Indiana would have to lose its last two to uh, change the seeding and have the Celtics play Indiana in the first. But uh, so they're, they're pretty well locked in. And they, they played uh, uh, Memphis today, the Celtics did, and uh, kind of went with the regulars. So uh, their next game, their final bubble game against um, uh, Washington, uh, the uh, artists formerly known as the Washington Wizards. Um, I think it's a very good chance you'll be able to uh, see some guys from the end of the bench get their varsity letters by getting enough playing time in that game. <laughs> Who's impressed you most in these six return games so far? Uh, for the Celtics, um, yeah. you know, um, Jalen Brown, he's been just so solid on both ends. I would say, uh, you know, he, he stands out quite a bit. Uh, they've given Robert Williams a chance to play more, and uh, and he's been uh, better than he was prior. Um, Kemba Walker, there was a question about his knee, and they kind of you know took him along slowly, but uh, they've ramped up his minutes steadily, and you know he's still Kemba Walker. Um, so and you know Jason Tatum has had some rough shooting games. Uh, he had a, a rough uh, start, and then he came back strong. So. You know, um, kind of what you'd expect. Uh, nothing, nothing really changing too much. I would say to Jalen Brown, uh, his play kind of standing out a little bit. Yeah. Hey, uh, Steve. So one of the things that I've noticed uh, is that as Robert Williams has sort of ascended, Ennis Cantor is sort of receding back a little bit. His minutes have been reduced. It would be wonderful if you could combine Robert Williams on defense and Ennis Cantor on offense. You'd have an all-star center. What do you make of Ennis Cantor's situation moving forward? Well, um, one of the Celtics' big issues remains interior defense. And uh, I don't think that that's one of the things that Ennis puts on his resume when he sends out for, uh, for jobs. Um, so, you know, Robert Williams is more of a rim protector. Uh, but, you know, Robert Williams has issues as well. 
Uh, the biggest probably being consistency of effort of, you know, I mean, he's a, um, physically, athletically, uh, intellectually very gifted. Uh, but just having that, that grit uh, that you want to see possession by possession, um, that's been an issue with, with Robert. Uh, if he just went out and played animal ball, I, mean, I, I think sky's limit for a guy like that. Uh, but, you know, that's a really big issue for Boston. I think um, Brad Stevens has recognized that, the interior defense. So he's uh, leaned on Robert a little bit more. The problem is you, you miss what Ennis Cantor gives you, which is offensive rebounds, garbage points, which are, you know, worth their weight in gold a lot of times, especially when Ennis is coming in with a second unit, the second team guys who are not as adept offensively, missing a bunch of shots. It's nice to have someone there with a dustpan and broom to clean that stuff up. Absolutely. And that's a really good point that you make that, you know, if this team, if the seeding games ended today and things kind of followed suit in the way that we think they will, you're right. They will play the Sixers. How much does playing a team like Philadelphia that has a big interior presence like Joel Embiid, how much does that worry Brad Stevens and this Celtics team? I think it concerns him a lot. Um, but look, the way the Celtics have to play. Okay, let's, let's look at the Celtics starting lineup, first of all. You got Kemba Walker as the point guard, Daniel Tice, who's, you know, better than some people would think, but still he's Daniel Tice. Uh, he's your center. Now you've got Jalen Brown, uh, Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward. Which of those latter three is your power forward against a team that goes big? That's the issue. What that means is that the Celtics have to really play strong perimeter defense. They've got the capability to do that, but that's a tough physical ask, and it's probably even tougher mentally that you've got to be that far up uh, focused on every possession defensively because you can't let the fight get inside because there you can, you're pretty well toast. Um, and, you know, but if you do keep up your exterior perimeter defense, then opportunity baskets come out of that, your fast break comes out of that, and you can survive and, and prosper. But um, it's, a, it's a tough way to go against a team that, you know, can get inside on you. Stephen, that, that's a really good point that you make. And one of the follow-up points I have to that is because the Celtics team is having to get out on the perimeter more defensively, it seems like teams are finding better opportunities when it comes to three-point attempts. How big of a concern is that defensively for the Celtics team? Because it seems like on one side, you know, it's great offensively when you have four guys who can always shoot and can always be offensive threats. But defensively, it seems to kind of be hampering them a bit. I mean, well, defensively, that's what I'm saying is they've got to get out on perimeter and play defense. Uh, and they've got to you know, get, into, get into people uh, on the perimeter to keep them from driving, to keep them from, from being able to attack the rim. Um, and if your perimeter defense is working well, if you're up on the shooters, excuse me, then you know, you're, you're taking away three-pointers. So a team that wants to shoot threes against you is going to be in trouble. They're going to end up forcing some threes, which is kind of what happened when they played uh, uh, Toronto a couple of games ago. Uh, Toronto wanted to, to space the floor, get things going there, but the Celtics were up on them defensively. And, you know, when, it, when a guy did make a move to the basket, there was proper help and proper recovery, which is, you know, key because a guy's going to, the offensive player is always going to have the advantage because he knows where he's going to, where he's going, 
before the defender knows where the offensive player is going. So he's going to be able to get a half step at least. Uh, so being able to react to that and then recover and get back out to shooters. Uh, again, if you can do that, it's a, it's a tough job to do, particularly when you got guys that, you know, they want to play offense. But if, if the Celtics don't focus and say to themselves, jobs one, two, and three are defense for this team, then they can be in trouble. Philadelphia really seems to have lost its mojo in so many ways. I mean, as we record this on Tuesday evening, they had a tough loss to Phoenix this afternoon. I gave up 130 points to Phoenix. And now Phoenix is a team that uh, has surprised everybody uh, with how well they've played in the bubble. But with Philadelphia missing Ben Simmons, I mean, we know what he does on offense, but Ben Simmons is also a really good defensive player too. So I think, you know, with Philly, I mean, what, 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 how does Brett Brown turn the momentum around for that team? I know Embiid will probably be okay to play against Boston, but they just seem like a hot mess right now. Yeah. Well, you didn't have, well, you said Simmons or Embiid today and, and Al Horford sat out as well. So, I mean, they were, they were today. I wouldn't look at that result as anything, uh, representative necessarily I think it's a mismatched team um, you know putting Ben Simmons inside offensively I think is a smart move because it's hard to have a guy like that out front who can't slash won't shoot uh, and when we when the Celtics have seen him in the playoffs just was making some really bad decisions with the ball too um, so I, I think the the Simmons and B combination, uh, you know, I think it's a it's a mismatched club, and I, I think it's you know it's going to have problems. And so you go from last year's Sixers to this year, you uh, Jimmy Butler goes away, and he's one of the guys who can get his own shot, which is hugely important in the playoffs when things become a possession for possession game. Uh, and then you uh, JJ Redick goes. And J.J. Redick as a floor spacer, especially if you're going to have a Ben Simmons on the floor, you know, a guy like J.J. Redick, who is just money from the three-point line, those guys are worth their weight in gold in today's NBA. So, I mean, I don't see, you know, recovering from those two losses right there. And, again, you've got a mismatched club. Uh, they bring Al Horford in, and he doesn't seem to be working well with – with Joel Embiid, it was like Al Horford went there because, oh, great, I've got a big guy that will play inside and I can do my, you know, 15 to 18 foot game, be a facilitator, hit big shots, and then be the defensive player I want to be. And uh, then you see Embiid now slipping outside and it's like, well, you've got two beasts, you know, hanging on the edge of the park. You need them down, you know, in the lion's den there. What about a team like Miami? How much noise can they realistically make in the Eastern Conference? I think they, I think they scare a lot of teams, um, you know, because they, they're going to defend, they're going to play hard defense, and they've got enough shooters. And just, they, you know, uh, they took some steps forward with the way they've crafted this year's team. And a big plus for them was, uh, was minusing Hassan Whiteside. Um, that wasn't working there at all. And there were, uh, I think that team uh, breathed a sigh of relief uh, when he was not in their room anymore. Um, so, you know, 
that's a team I think would frighten people more than a Philadelphia or even a, an Indiana would perhaps in the, in the first round. Obviously, they got to go up, up against, uh, you know, a, a tough competition in the first round. But um, that's a team that, you know, it's like you're walking by a hornet's nest. You may make it by, but you're going to have stings and welts. Um, so it's, it's, uh, that's a, that's a tough club. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, just to kind of get, get into this bubble scenario a little bit, you know, you've covered the league for over 30 years. You've been around the Celtics team for three decades. That's a long time to cover a team and you've seen a lot of things in the NBA. Did you ever I started know? when I was four years old? I want you to know. <laughs> yeah. And I started Absolutely. when I was a little kid too. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but did you ever fathom that you would see a scenario like this play out, like what the NBA has done when it comes to this Disney campus, these seating oh. games, and what we're going to see in the playoffs? And then just kind of your reaction to the way that the NBA has handled all this. Well, the only people that could have seen this situation pandemic-wise were, let's see, Bill Gates and how many other people, uh, the, the pandemic response team that was put in place all these different people saw this coming. Um, so that's another separate issue. And I think we're all unhappy that we're stuck in this situation. No, no, you know, in terms of those who are of us who are just paying attention to, to basketball and, and other mundane pursuits, you know, the NBA getting here uh, is, you know, no one could have figured this part out. We were looking at uh, Celtics were in, in, in Milwaukee on March 11th, uh, they were uh, there to play. They played the night before in Indiana. Were there to play the Bucks the next night, um, and the idea was, okay, it looks like you may be playing for for a while here without fans in the stands. And because the previous game, this, the uh, Celtics have played against the Pacers in Indiana, uh, there were some protocols put in place as far as social distancing, uh, no media in the locker room. Everything was done in uh, in an interview room with distancing. But yeah, no one, I don't think, I think everyone figured, well, you'll nip this in the bud, everyone will put it together and figure it out and, and we'll, we'll move on after a time. But no, I think the fact that you're here and that knock on wood uh, for the players and everybody that it's been successful so, so far is that you've got a really good partnership and openness between uh, the players and management and, and Adam Silver. The players trust Adam Silver. And he's earned the trust so far. I mean, there's no, you know, you always want to throw in so far because you never know what owners are going to get together tomorrow and try to, you know, um, mess with things or, or whatnot. But um, I think it's worked really well. Um, and I think the NHL, their bubble, the bubble concept works. But let's face it, it's a hard thing to pull off. If you were to tell the players, this is how it's going to be for the rest for the next five years, you know, I'm not sure how well that goes over, but it's like, you know, hold your breath. Let's do it now. And, um, you know, let's get a season out of this. And so far, so good. Yeah. And it really seems like for the most part, the players have bought in and, you know, they're having fun with it. You know, you look at what the Phoenix Suns did today when they announced their sure. starting five, they had their family members doing it. It seemed like for the first time that the players understand the role that they're playing here in bringing basketball back to people. But how much will that change once the playoffs start? And, you know, playoff basketball is completely different than regular season basketball. And it's completely different than what we're seeing in these seeding games. But 
once these teams really get into series and you really start to see some of the rivalries manifest, how much is the fact that these teams are sharing hotels, these teams are sharing common spaces, and then you go and play a team in a seven-game series, how much do you think that weighs on some of the minds of the players and the personnel that are there as well? Well, if I'm the, the uh, NBA's broadcast mark partners, I'm putting cameras in all the elevators. I mean, <laughs> elevator brawls, you know, this has got to be the next big thing. I mean, I think, I think a good series of elevator, elevator brawls would beat the hell out of the last dance. I'm not sure, uh, Bruce. It's kind of more your, uh, your area. but Bruce uh, is just thinking about all the cameras he can put in there. There you go. Now, I think once you get to playoffs, you're looking more at, you know, first of all, you get teams leaving every round, so the, it, it becomes less crowded. Um, and I think the teams are really just going to focus in on, you know, uh, the series is tied at one. How big is game three? It's that, you know, this is, you got to get the leg up in game three. So I think it's going to be more of a, of a basketball focus, more of a focus on what's the business at hand. Um, so, um, you know, look, the players so far have dealt with it well. Um, and they've, they've found their distractions. But I think, you know, having a playoff series, and look, they're not, they're not just doing it so they can give us fun things to watch on yeah. television. This is to, you know, try to protect the, the league's financial health in their own as best they can. You know, that's going to be, there's going to be injury there. But, but so now there's a lot of camaraderie, but, you know, it'll get more closed and more into what's our job as, uh, as the playoffs get here and we get away from the seeding games. Circling back a little bit to the Celtics here. First of all, do you guys like my autographed picture of Taco Fall back there? I, that's one of my prized possessions. Thank you to my son, Adam, who, who got that for me. But I, I, think of, be, I think you could be looking at, you know, perhaps financing your uh, summer home on Martha's Vineyard with, if you want to put that on eBay. <laughs> I would never, ever, ever sell my Taco Fall. Well, for the right price. Anyway. <laughs> One of the recurring themes that I've seen in watching the Celtics, since we are talking about the Celtics primarily here, is how much team harmony has been a positive for them. You see them playing volleyball and you see Ennis Cantor doing his thing and Marcus Smart and all that. So is it, I hate to use the term team building or bonding, but I guess that's kind of how much of a factor do you think that is for these teams? In other words, some teams, you know, that guys on the team kind of tolerate each other as opposed to having genuine sort of friendships or affection. With the Celtics, it almost seems like almost a college team in a lot of ways and that there are a bunch of guys just hanging out. Is that your impression? And if I'm wrong about that, and if I'm right about that, how important do you think that's been uh, for them in the present and also moving forward? Well, it was a big thing for them prior to all this stuff breaking down. Um, this was a group that got along really well. Look, guys on the last, uh, last year's team, there were a lot of guys who, who liked Kyrie Irving, but that dynamic was interesting. Um, you know, so uh, this year, though, it's, it's a lot more open. I think sometimes when you go through something like that, you tend to appreciate when things are better a little bit more. Um, but, and look, before we go further, Last year wasn't entirely a Kyrie Irving. It was not an entirely Kyrie Irving production. You had younger guys who weren't as good as they thought they were, as they were, they, that they were after getting to the last game of the Eastern Finals and blowing that. Um, but, you know, so there was 
last game of the Eastern Finals in a week in the East. But anyway, um, yeah, I think this year's team is good with, with camaraderie and those issues. And stuff like that helps defensively. They still go through times where offensively the ball sticks and it screws them up. And that could knock them out. That could be what kills them in the playoffs. If all of a sudden they get down by 6.7 points and Jason Tatum says, I'm going to go get us a shot here and starts to play a little bit of hero ball, then they could be screwed. Uh, but if the ball's moving, I mean, to me, as a basketball nerd, ball movement is life. You know, it, it not only gets you great shots, it makes sure that, that guys who, you know, uh, maybe don't get a shot for four or five possessions, they're still in the game. So when their shot comes, they haven't not seen the rock at all, at least. Um, so those kind of things are important. Uh, look, the larger issue there is, uh, or larger lesson perhaps is, um, you know, when you know people well, it's harder to have an issue with them, kind of. Um, uh, I'm not talking about people who've been married for years. That's a separate issue. Um, but seriously, I mean, if we knew people better, if we knew our neighbors better, if we knew people who weren't like us better necessarily, if they weren't, you know, people who are different from us, we'd probably be better off. We'd probably be more empathetic. We'd probably be further ahead as a people. So, you know, you can break that down as something, again, as mundane as basketball, and there's value there as well, I think. I love everything that you just said there. I mean, that makes complete and utter sense to me. And, you know, the thing I keep going back to, you know, when I look at the Celtics team and you look at all the parts that they have, this is a team that, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, should be competing for an Eastern Conference championship, right? Like, like, there's no way around that. But when you look at the way the pieces have added up so far this year, it is by far Milwaukee's to kind of lose. When you look at the Celtics team, what should be a realistic expectation for them in the, in the playoffs? Well, I think there's no team in the East that doesn't have blemishes. Um, look, the Celtics last year, uh, in uh, the second round against Milwaukee, they did the blueprint in game one on how to beat Milwaukee. You, you beat the hell out of Giannis, and you, you force him into uh, perhaps taking some bad shots, trying to force his offense, and then you put pressure on the guys around him a little bit. Uh, and they really put a, did a number on the Bucks in game one in Milwaukee last year. And people were figuring, okay, after this year of weirdness, they, they, they whiz through the, the Pacers and they smoke the Bucks in game one. You know, maybe Kyrie and these guys were just waiting to turn it on. But then game two comes, they get a couple of early fouls called on them. It goes away and the team just, you can see it kind of like, a, you know, a, a stream of water, you know, breaking into pieces and, and tributaries. Um, and it, it just went away. They, they went away from their plan what would what would work their their real shot to beat Milwaukee um I think Milwaukee's they're good and they're going to come in and play tough defense I think there's a good chance they're going to miss Malcolm Brogdon I think he was really important for them um but you know we'll see how that goes I again I, I don't think any team in the east is unbeatable well as long as Giannis is getting the ball in the post against Boston, I don't think Boston's going to be able to beat Milwaukee. But we're running out of time here, and I wanted to ask you one quick question. Take us in the Wayback Machine. You started covering the Celtics in the mid-1980s, which, of course, was the era of the Big Three. Um, Larry Bird, 
your best Larry Bird story or your favorite Larry Bird memory for the for the kids out there that have only seen him on film? Well, I mean, there's a thousand Larry Bird stories. Um, we don't have time for a thousand. Could you? you? I'm glad about that. Uh, dinner's <laughs> waiting. Um, one of the, one of the things that I think one of my favorite stories that that other people didn't see wouldn't you know it's not on YouTube is. Uh, mid-year they played the Lakers in that it was always like the, the Sunday after All-Star and it was a big, a big uh, back then CBS game and uh, the Celtics were at the forum we're in the locker before the game and Bird's sitting in his locker messing around with his sneakers and he's just there like a little child in a sing-song voice and you know like because he doesn't know anything else is around him and he just He's sitting there doing his thing with his sneakers saying, we're playing the Lakers, we're playing the Lakers. And that to me is Larry. It's like, you know, he wasn't like, you know, Bill Wallen's walking around the room, big game today, big one, big one today. And Larry's like, you know, this is cool. He's this, we're playing the Lakers. This is cool. And, you know, that's like a moment that to me captured Larry. You know, very much. Uh, can I give you one more? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, so that year they had the first three point contest, right? And we go to uh, uh, Dallas. Larry wins it. Um, the guys that were in Dallas, Celtic people, and uh, they fly to uh, to Sacramento to play on fly on Monday to play there Tuesday. Monday night, the team gathers to, you know, to go to the, get on the bus and go to practice. And if they were staying at one of those old Red Lion inns, the one with like a main building and then the tentacles with the rooms like you know a quarter mile away. Uh, Larry's at the front door of the hotel by the bus and he's got one of those dime store memo books and he bet everybody on the team that he was going to win the three-point contest five bucks 20 bucks 30 whatever and he'd written it all down okay so there's Larry Bird uh, on a Monday evening in, in uh, you know five six o'clock in Sacramento California as the Celtics are trying to get on the bus and like Dennis Johnson walks up Hey, where's your money? I'm a three-point king. You said I wasn't going to be a three-point king, but I'm a three-point king. Where's your money? Larry, it's back in my room. I'll get it later. Go get it. Go get it now. They ain't going to leave. The bus is going. Bus ain't going to leave without me. I'm a three-point king. I mean, <laughs> that's you know, he won it, damn it, and he had his notebook and he had it all written down, and he was going to get his, you know, his money. Absolutely, he was going to get his payday no matter what. Hey, Steve, this has been fantastic this has been educational and this has been enlightening for me <laughs> it's been a lot of fun thanks so much for taking the time and joining us good to speak with you guys that was dope special thanks to steve Bolpet for joining us here and you know bruce one of the things that i thought was really interesting is you know he commented on the phoenix suns and when this whole bubble experiment started i think a lot of people would have said you know the phoenix suns Fun team, kind of still a few years away, but they have been anything but that early on. Listen, they're seven and oh, they're the only undefeated team in the bubble. They got one more game to go. Hopefully they'll be, you know, trying to get to the play-in game. Devin Booker is a stone cold assassin. DeAndre Ayton was a number one pick in the draft in 2018. Seven foot player, you know, good rebounder. They've got Booker's 24. It's his fifth season. Okay. Uh, he's had 91 30 point games already. F New Phoenix record. Uh, Aiton is 22. Michael Bridges, who's been playing great for them, is kind of a legit tough guy. He's not even 24 yet. 
the future is bright with that team. And whether they end up making the playoffs this year or not, that's definitely a team on the rise moving forward yeah. for next year. And, and you know, that, that's a really good point because Devin Booker has been a really good NBA player for a long time. And people in Phoenix have known it and, you know, diehard NBA fans have known it. But this has really been Devin Booker's coming out party, hasn't it? To kind of showcase what he can do against the association. And he's doing it every single night. The shot that he made to beat the Clippers, where he shot it over Kawhi and over Paul George yeah. on the same play, falling away, falling down at the buzzer. That was, you know, this guy at his in his current, you know, if, if he continued, I mean, this guy looks like a Hall of Fame player to me. I mean, he just does. Yeah, he, he looks like a player similar to how we spoke about Dame at the top of this show. He's ready for the big shot whenever his name or number needs to be called, and he's not going to back down. And it's been fun. And, you know, for people who didn't see what the Suns did, we're recording this show on a Tuesday. How they introduced their starting five today was one of the best moments that I think we've gotten from the bubble so far. And if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go check out the Suns Twitter account, search it, watch it. It was it was the things that I think that we've been clamoring for in these moments and what sports can do, and we finally got a moment like that. Sports has the ability to unite people with all kinds of different backgrounds, whatever, and basketball, I think, is one of the best when it comes to that. It's, it's the most diverse. It's the most inclusive, and I just can't tell you how my personal morale has been raised just seeing everything surrounding this bubble, the, the play on the floor, the camaraderie, the, the, the peaceful nature of people protesting. It's just been a total win. Absolutely. It's been a lot of fun to watch. You know, another thing, Bruce, we spoke about what kind of a news day it was for college football and the sports landscape, but it was also a big day in just national news as Joe Biden picked his running mate. You know, one of the things we like to do on this show is we like to tie in things as they come to the NBA. And it's natural when you start to think about running mates. There's a lot of good ones in the NBA, right? And a lot of good ones throughout the course of history, you know, whether it was LeBron and Kyrie in those Cleveland years, or maybe Steph and Clay over in the Warriors, or, you know, the big three down in Miami, they were all running mates. But when you look at the NBA as it's constructed today, as guys play out, I have my favorite. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain from telling you who my favorite is. But I want to know, who are your favorite running mates in the NBA right now? Well, I would have to say my number one, you know, at the top of the ticket is President LeBron James with his vice president, Anthony Davis. That would be my number one right now. And that really surprises me that you would go LeBron and AD over Kawhi and PG. Well, I picked the Lakers going into the season to win the championship. I'm the big I'm, a, I'm an enormous LeBron James fan. He's never played for a team that I root for, but I don't care. I just think the guy's fantastic. And Anthony Davis, I mean, look, if you're talking about a number two, he's ready to assume the presidency on day one if he needs to be. <laughs> Especially if something happens to LeBron in these playoffs, right? Like, that's possible. LeBron's already dealing with groin injuries, and we saw it last year. So my, my top ticket. This is going to surprise you, and it's not just because we've spoken about him a lot on this show, but I'm going with Dame Lillard and then his running mate, C.J. McCollum. And there's a reason why. I love the way these two play together and the way they've dominated the court, especially, you know, 
being trailblazers together in the way that they've kind of led that team. But even in the bubble, look at this. Dame Lillard goes for 51 the other night. Between his six games so far, he's got 198 points. McCollum's not far behind. He's got multiple 20-point games already in these seeding games. He's got a few over 30, and he's on track for 22, 23 points per game. The two of them together are so much fun to watch. They're not quite Steph and Clay, but they have a much meaner dynamic. They're more aggressive, and I just feel like both of those guys play with such a chip on their shoulder every single night that they're really fun to watch. I have no problem at all with, 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 with that choice, but now I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. <laughs> all time top, you know, running mate. Who's, who's, you know, who's your number two and your number one. And I'll tell you mine after you answer. This is going to surprise you because this is when I really started watching the NBA. And it's, it's so funny that I live in this market now, but a young Shaq and a young penny, those two together, when they were playing at their absolute best, you know, Shaq, the, when he was young, the way he ran was so much like a gazelle. And, you know, Penny kind of revolutionized the point guard position. Those two together, it was just, it was poetry in motion. And, you know, to have a young magic team like that, that was an upstart playing together, that was really fun. You know, Shaq had a, another good running mate in Los Angeles by the name of uh, Kobe Not Bryant, bad, right? the late great Kobe Bryant. But I'm I'm going with my number one running mate all time would have to be Scottie Pippen, uh, right next to President Jordan. That's a pretty good one and relevant at the same time. Hey, but I'll tell you, you <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what you we want everyone to chime in on who their favorite running mates have been. What's been the best duo that you've watched that you've enjoyed watching and that's happening right now in the NBA. All you got to do is drop it in the comments of this show or on Pure Hoops Media. You can tag it in all of our social channels. But, Bruce, this has been fun. You did a tremendous job filling in for our guy, Otto, once again. Can't thank you enough, my man. Hey, listen, it's always a treat uh, talking with you, working with the great Scott Turk and our producer, uh, who keeps us all on from going off the rails here. So uh, it was my pleasure to join you guys. Absolutely. Special thanks to our producer, Scott Turkin, Bruce Bernstein, our head of content, and as always, our editor, Tom Phillip. Hey, if you have not checked out our shows, what are you doing? We really enjoy bringing them to you each and every week. Another fun week here on the Pure Hoops Media Slate. Monday, as always, is the Mike Weiss Show, followed by Tuesday with Fanta and Adams. They talked college basketball, what college football's cancellation means, will it be pushed back, what does it mean for a season as a whole? Wednesday right here is all your NBA news and nuggets here on Catch and Shoot 2.0. Thursdays is Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and her co-host King McClure. And Friday, as always, bringing it home to close out your week is the Pure Hoops podcast with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong. We just like to say that if you enjoy our shows, if you love listening to them and you interact with them, all that we ask is that you rate and review each of our shows and then share it with all your friends. And listen, folks, we talked a lot about how successful the bubble has been down in Orlando. Well, the rest of us are not living in a bubble, and we really need to continue to uh, do the things we need to to try and uh, mitigate the danger of the COVID-19. So please continue to pray for the safety and well-being of our medical professionals. 
practice the social distancing, six feet apart if you don't mind, wear that mask to protect yourself and others, and treat everybody around you like a, a cherished teammate or a friend, even if they're total strangers. And also, please, keep working for social justice with our fellow citizens who are looking for more to create a more inclusive and just society. Absolutely. Well said, my man. That does it for us here this week on Catch and Shoot 2.0. We are back next week talking a little NBA. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.